All right, let's get this going, shall we? I'm still the only one doing this because Dan is lying and apparently he's keeping his sober streak going. So, uh, how are you tonight, Dan? You're almost there. I know, I'm four days away from hitting the booze again and don't you worry, I've planned a little uh, little undertaking, go to a nearby brewery, pick up a couple of special ones and uh, yeah, I'm excited. And, you know, I'm kind of like, my, my drug right now is like sour skittles or something like that, that's all I've got going on. Well, I'll salute your commitment to the cause there. Your sober October is continued into our recording time at the beginning of November, so cheers to you, Dan. And uh, we have another guest joining us this week to, let's just say, sell us on Philadelphia, but we'll also dive into the 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 travel side of things, what Philadelphia is like as a soccer city or a soccer culture, sports culture, and then just uh, the locals' take uh, from, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Mr. Jonathan Tannewald. Thanks for joining us, John. Gavin, it's my pleasure. Um, I'm working tonight, unfortunately, so I'm drinking water. I can't help you. But uh, Well, to professionalism. It's always good to catch up with you, um, especially on the day that next year's Tour de France route came out, and I found out how early in the morning we're going to have to wake up, so... So excited! It, it looks good. They have a couple spots in in various wine wine countries in uh, near the Mont Ventoux, and then in Saint Emilion. So uh, I will dream as I watch. Now, uh, first things first. You've covered the Union for a long time. I have a question that has just dogged me, and I've never you know asked you ever. What does the dupe stand for? D O O P. Ah, you've had all this time to ask me. You never have. Um, so. The dupe, the dupe doesn't stand for anything. It's, it is the goal song of Borussia Mönchengladbach, where <laughs> the union's first manager, Peter Novak, played, or at least visited, as a player back in the day. <laughs> and he really liked it, and he decided, oh, well, let's have it here. And it's just stuck. It's, yeah, it's stuck. Oh, oh wow. So, it's a, so the union influenced uh, no, a, a bigger team are using air quotations you know, in the city. That's fantastic. Now, I, I, I look at the union stadium, Jonathan, and it looks, no, I don't know if you can describe it to the listeners, it, it looks beautiful with the, you know, the bridge nearby and the, uh, and the boats passing on the river. I mean, as settings go for Major League Soccer, is this one of the best, you think? No. <laughs> I would trade it for the original BMO field in a heartbeat for one reason and one reason only, which is that the original BMO field, I could take the streetcar across town. How, so how hard is it to get to Chester for it? There is next to no public transit whatsoever. Oh, that kills you. It's, it's a half hour south of the city by car. Um, and I don't have a car, so I usually do either car sharing rentals or get a ride with somebody. Or there's, there's a suburban commuter rail line that stops a couple of miles away from the stadium. And um, in normal times, the union provide a, shuttle, a free shuttle service, which is fine getting down there when the trains are once an hour. But going back, um, the trains are too late at night, really, to be sensible about it. So they lose out on a lot of people from the city. And I would trade, as I said, it's once you're there, when you're in it, yes, you've got the bridge in the background and the river and all that. But... The logistical infrastructure, I would take BMO Field or Stad Saputo or any number of others in a heartbeat in terms of the public transit access. And it does it does make a difference, I think, to the culture in the stadium, the diversity of the crowd and so on. I grew up in Washington, D.C., going to D.C. United Games at RFK Stadium, which is right on the subway. And that was you know, the most diverse sporting event in town every week. 
Now, mm-hmm. isn't it amazing that, that MLS in the early days, the stadiums were built out in the hinterlands? And, and Philadelphia's not exactly from the early days of MLS, but they sort of continued that trend, and now everybody's coming into the center of town. I mean, I you look at Seattle Sounders fans doing the march to the match down to uh, well, CenturyLink Field or whatever, you know, whatever they call it now, and it's it's right downtown. And how much how much does that take away from maybe a fan culture that you can't walk from your nearest pub down or a restaurant down pre-game, post-game, whatever you say? Absolutely, you know, I've I've been covering the team since the very start, and the first the first question that I always get, um, you know, from soccer fans in the city is not how is the team doing because they sort of know how they're doing. It's how do I get to the stadium? <laughs> That's really sad because this is a great soccer city. You know, when the national teams come to town and play at Lincoln Financial Field, the Eagle Stadium, they draw enormous crowds. But it's been a, fr- you know, the, the, it's been a frustration since day one in 2010. And the union are... Um, you know, they were sort of, they were the last team to build a suburban stadium. If you think about Chicago, Dallas, Denver, they were the last team sort of in that group and the Galaxy also. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I don't, I'm, you're probably aware of it. I read an article by uh, Pablo Mara in the, in the Athletic about a year or so ago about the kind of disconnect between the union's facilities and quite, you know, how quite beautiful they are. I mean, I know the team offices are in a renovated power plant and stuff like that, but then the surrounding area around Chester, I mean, union haven't really made a foothold there. Um, the promised investment they had there hasn't really happened. And it's, it, is it quite a struggling area around the stadium? It's not great. There's one brewery, but it's sort of more of a commercial wholesale brewery that runs a little retail operation on the weekends for union fans. And they've coordinated with the Sons of Ben Supporters Club and so on. But no, it's it's a suburban team with a mostly suburban fan base. They come in on the highway and they come out. And it's it's always been a frustration. How many fans actually live in Chester? Are these people from Chester, up next Chester to itself that? is not um, not huge. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is it is it's a city, but the fan base is elsewhere. Chester is mostly black. The union's fan base is almost entirely white. You can do the math from there fairly quickly. And certainly in terms of, um, you know, the union do some useful charitable things. They fund the, the soccer team at the local public high school. They help bring it back to life. They do a few other things, but they don't. It, it's not, I mean, Hopefully with Kevin Durant now in the ownership group, that will change, but it's not, um, it's not what it could be. Now, now broadcast wise, I just want to change it to maybe something a little more upbeat. Now you have, you've had JP Dalla camera doing the play by play commentary for the union for a number of years. And uh, for me uh, growing up in high school, uh, when we'd get, you know, a champions league game a day, you know, for me, it was in lunch break when I'd be when I'd be at school and I'd get the first fifteen minutes, and and I'd turn on ESPN and or well, we'd get on TSN in Canada, and and there's JP Della Cameron. For me, um, 
you know, as someone who's who's done some sports commentary myself, it, it's he's the guy who wasn't a British voice. No offense, Dan, but so many sports <laughs> they go to the default. Let's bring in someone with a British accent. They'll comment. They'll do commentary. But JP was the exception, and he's still going to this day. And uh, you know, Johnny, I'm sure you, you you know him better than I. But uh, he's 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 one of the most decent genuine people i've ever met and the first time i ever met him i got to tell him like you were the guy who i looked up who who sounded like me talking about soccer and that was unheard of at the time he he is a gentleman in every way and obviously he has seen more games in person than all the rest of us combined going back to you know 1989 when he called the most famous goal in american soccer history with paul calajuri against trinidad to put them into the 1990 men's world cup and he called the second most famous goal in world cup history which was brandy chastain's penalty in 99 and he called the third most which is carly lloyd's goal for midfield in vancouver in 15 <laughs> and he called i don't know whether it's the fourth most but he called rose lavelle you know he called the he's he called for those who don't know he's he called the night the last year's women's world cup for fox he's fox's arrangement is that john strong is the lead on mls and the u.s men and JP Della Camera is second on MLS and the US men and the Gold Cup and whatever else, and first on the US women. So he's done something like 15 World Cups now combined between the men and the women over the years. And uh, you know, certainly it helps that you know, in, in this country, uh, as as in Canada, but you all know, especially in this country, we're rabbit for women's soccer. And the women's world cup is a huge deal as a commercial enterprise, not just as you know. A couple of soccer as a tournament of soccer games and so that's helped jp continue to do this and what we'll do in in 2023 with australia i have no idea but um he's he's a legend he's, he's he is in the national soccer hall of fame and yes he did show for a lot of people i think including john strong who you all know of through his work with fox that you need not have an english accent to um to know the game I, I won't forget because I, I first met him when I was working for Canada Soccer and the women's team had a game in, in Dallas and Frisco against the U.S. And, it, you know, when I heard that he was on the crew, I was like, say what now? And it's, it's, it's one of those surreal moments. I've had it a few times meeting the voices that you've heard growing up. I had it another time with Gary Bloom, the, uh, the World Cup commentator out of the U.K. And so sort of being able to sort of you know, actually chat with the voice I grew up. It was one of those surreal feelings and it's something I won't forget. So you guys are, are lucky in Philadelphia to have one of the, the great voices of soccer in North America. Cause, cause it's up in Canada too. He would be the voice that you'd get. Well, and, he, uh, they, anyway, they really are lucky. And, you know, he came in one of the reasons why he, he was hired in the first place was because the original president of the team, Nick Sakevich, he knew previously from having done the Metro stars and, and so on. And he stayed the whole time. And I think it's great that he has. And certainly it's, he's been a great asset, you know, for the team in terms of public base. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been a good ride. You know, he, he's had a lot of different color commentators over the years, but you think about, you know, Taylor Twelman was on the union's broadcast crew at one point. Kyle Martino was on the union's broadcast crew at one point. Alejandro Moreno did, I think a year and a half. And they've all gone on to great, you know, great things nationally. So, and, and obviously, you know, so many people that, that JP Della Camera has worked with 
including on the women's side, you know, he and he and Allie Wagner calling women's games are outstanding. Oh, really yeah. are. Yeah. The funny thing is I <laughs> I've gotten to meet Luke Wildman and Steve Caldwell and 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 KJ and all the rest of them over the years going up there and when they used to come down here. The guy who I always get a thrill out of is Vic Router. Nobody ever called a Didier drug goal like Vic Router. It's it's true, and I mean I I I am very much remiss for not because he was around the same time when I'd be watching uh, those games, those Champions League games. Vic Router was calling Canada games, and I remember watching the '98 qualifiers again on TSN back when you know they had all those those World Cup qualifying rights, Champions League rights. Nobody was really watching them, but it was Vic Router and Graham Leggett calling. Uh, calling the games up here so it's true we we, we did have our own uh you know non-british accent talking up here so my apologies to vic router uh because yeah it was it was at the time you know if you're watching soccer it's someone with an accent and it was y- y- good point that that it was kind of cool that we both had y- you know our own examples of someone stepping up with who sounds like us kind of thing <laughs> well my distinct you know my apologies for encroaching on this podcast with my weird accent <laughs> fellas <laughs> no um, i'd like, like to ask you know, because obviously you know you're not short of sports and icons at all you no know, outside of soccer i mean like you are spoiled for choice for sports teams professional sports teams in philadelphia i mean can you just describe how much you know life revolves around sport in that city well, I'm not from here originally. Um, I'm an outsider, even though I've lived here for 18 years now. But it certainly does revolve around sports, and sometimes in ways that are not always the healthiest. They would they would fire the general managers and the owners before they'd fire some of the politicians of every stripe, you know, no matter your your affiliation or your views. Um, but yeah, it's it's a sports mad city, absolutely, and it's in that regard, you know, it's a lot of fun. I, I do wish from time to time that soccer got more attention because a lot of the, the media sort of tastemakers in this city either don't know about it or flat out don't like it and think it's a communist conspiracy or some such. <laughs> but look, there are, this is a city with a lot of old white folks. That's, that's unavoidable. It's changing. It's a lot more diverse than it was when I started out uh, in college here. Uh, but it's still got a ways to go, unfortunately. And, and, you know, because there's so much choice of professional sport over there, is there um, much of an appetite for college sport as well? In Philadelphia, it varies sort of depending on where, where you went to university. Um, if you went to Penn State, which I'm sure you guys have heard of, yeah, you're very much into football. If you didn't, um, this is a college basketball town more than it's a college football town because there are six division one universities only one of which plays sort of major level college football and it's not really the most major <laughs> they, they like to think it is but it's not but college basketball in the city has a huge history you think about Villanova and Temple and St. Joseph's when Jameer Nelson you know, played there and Jack Ramsey the famous coach coached there long ago my alma mater the University of Pennsylvania um went to the final four in 1979 has the palestra, which is one of the grand old historic, great. I mean, it's my favorite sports venue anywhere. Old brick barn of a gym, you know, with an arched 
ceiling and skylights and nothing fancy pretentious about it. Um, but even then, you know, the, the professional sports are much more popular than college sports. Well, now Dan and I have, have chatted before about how, you know, in some some ways the, the the finances of current professional sports has sort of switched us off a little bit. With so much college, you know, if you how much could you go see a, a college basketball game for in, in Philadelphia? Like, do you know what ticket prices would be? I mean, if you tried hard enough, you could probably get in for twenty twenty five or so dollars. That's not bad. I mean, it, it at Villanova, you know, you're talking that's that ends up being, you know, sort of the top of the Wells Fargo Center. Um, at Penn, it's usually twenty five dollars for the, you know, for the for sort of the top of the bleachers. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I, I'll be honest. I, part of my hesitation is it's been quite a while since I've gone as a fan. Because I cover college yeah. basketball in the soccer off season in the winter, so I'm not the expert on what the ticket prices are. I got to admit, <laughs> um, but no, is it? It's not as cheap as a baseball game, and it's probably not as expensive as the NBA. Either. I think I remember reading. You've mentioned that that you know you wish soccer got more attention. I remember it was in an editorial cartoon where. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago when the Union were in first place and the Phil- Phillies Inc. were in last. And, you know, the cartoon was the Phillies getting all the attention while the guy on the Union was in the background, you know, trying to wave, hey, we're in first place. Is that is that what, it, you know, come the summertime, is it all the Phillies? Um, it wasn't this year. Hmm. It, 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 it often is because people are just so used to it, you know, and they've been Phillies fans for 40, 50, 60 years. And again, I think that plays into the cultural aspect of the union being out in the suburbs. If they were in the city, they probably feel like a more important thing. Now, it doesn't help that they haven't won anything. And as we're recording this, we're a few afters, we're a few hours still after saying, you know, they still haven't won anything. We can get into that. <laughs> um, a week from now, we were recording this on the Sunday night. Whenever your show comes out, I don't know. But a week from when we're recording this, it might be different. <laughs> And um, we can talk about that too. But I do think that's part of it. And I, I feel like um, this is probably something you get asked quite a lot. Um, why are sports fans from Philadelphia so widely disliked and why do they have such an awful reputation? Um, <sighs> You're thinking. They have an awful, they've earned the awful, they've, uh, I mean, again, I'm not from here. They've mostly yeah. earned the awful reputation, but they've also mostly shed it in recent years. You know, the old okay, story okay. about throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. Well, the thing was that the Santa Claus who showed up that day um, at Franklin Field was an imposter of the one who was supposed to be there and did an awful job. So they booed him. <laughs> Are, are, can they be coarse? Yes, they can be coarse. Can they sometimes be a little racist in ways that I really don't like? Yes, they can be. And sometimes the sports talk radio in this town, they can certainly be sexist even more than racist. And the sports talk radio in this town um, eggs them on in that regard uh, a good bit. But, um, you know, I... They're certainly passionate 
There are places I've been where the fans aren't as passionate. And part of it is the rivalries with New York and Boston, where there's so many cultural tastemakers that in very subtle ways have you believe that the New York and Boston fans are always right. Well, they're not always right. And frankly, I can live in Philadelphia and I'm perfectly fine, you know, one bedroom flat downtown for a third of the price of Manhattan or parts of Boston. So there. <laughs> and, and is there something um, in, you know, somebody from Philadelphia's psyche, do you think, and their personality, you know, is there a natural rebellious streak? Is there a natural love, I, I don't know, of having a few beers? Like, yeah. Absolutely, because, you know, the, 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 the cultural wisdom from, from New York is always, oh, they're uneducated oops, you know, loafs, whatever. No. Mm -hmm. I mean, no. If you actually, like, if you actually come here, it's a great city, and everybody I know who comes, even the people I know who just come in for a day and a half with covering MLS, it's usually one of their favorite stops on the circuit until they have to go to the stadium, obviously. But when they're downtown, it's great. A good natural segue. Now I'd like to ask you about, you know, if we are visiting the city. I believe once on one of my random freelance trips, I was stuck in the Philadelphia airport delayed with a lightning storm. And you were like, hey, come on into town. And I couldn't. Now, uh, for, for visitors to see uh, to uh, Philadelphia, what... Um, you know, what, what do you recommend? Where, where, where do the locals go where I'm not sort of surrounded by, you know, out-of-towners? Well, I will, it, let, us, let us assume there's no pandemic, first of all. Of course. Yes. Um, one of the great things about Philadelphia is it's eminently walkable. It's flat between the Schuylkill and Delaware Rivers, where the city center is, and even west of it's – it's, it's mostly flat. It's a little hilly when you get west of the Schuylkill and go to the Drexel and – University of Pennsylvania campuses where there are some really great historic buildings and the Palestra, as I mentioned, and Franklin Field, which is the oldest stadium in continuous operation in the country and the oldest two-deck stadium in the country. Um, but what the odd thing is that what the natives will tell you, and they're right, is also what the tourists will tell you. And there's not a lot of places where that's necessarily true. But it is in Philadelphia. You start at Reading Terminal Market. You go in there. And then, and then you're on your own. Um, what's the market on King Street in your neck of the woods? Oh, uh, St. Lawrence Market. Yes. So Reading Terminal is our public market. Food stalls, you know, produce, meat, fish, cheeses, some outstanding sandwich places, um, all manner of great stuff. And that's Somebody will say to me, oh, where, where, where should I eat when I'm there? Well, no, that's up to you. I'm not telling you where to eat. <laughs> well, well, we've mentioned, we, we've, we've, spoke, we've spoken about Seattle and, and they put cream cheese on their hot dogs. We've spoken about Chicago hot dogs. Is there, is there a, a, a regional quirk with a Philadelphia hot dog? No. <laughs> but also, I mean, this is, uh, this is a hot dog town up to a point, but, you know, there's a lot of other good things to eat here. It's not just cheesesteaks. Well, the funny, so here's the funny thing. The locals don't really eat cheesesteaks. What? I mean, they do, they do up to a point, but the roast pork sandwich with broccoli rob is the better sandwich. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Any number of places where you might get what you would call a sub, they would call here a hoagie. With all manner of wide ranges of Italian meats and cheeses and trimmings and so on, is going to be the better sandwich than cheese. 
Yeah, and, and is there like some untapped food that, like, you know, as you say, they don't eat many cheesesteaks. You talk about that sandwich. Are there other, you know, quintessentially Philadelphia foods that perhaps other people don't know about? Well, before I get there, let me say one thing. The key, the key to eating well in Philadelphia, when you go to get, whether it's a roast pork or an Italian hoagie, or even, even the cheesesteak when it's done well, like Pats and Geno's are cliched. You go there at three in the morning when you're you want an actual good cheesesteak, there are lots of other places to go. The quality of the bread is the whole thing. Oh, 100%. And it is a matter in which Philadelphians take a lot of pride in the quality of the bakeries that make the rolls here. Um, what else do they eat? Well, the soft pretzel is a delicacy here. There are a lot of bakeries that do them very, very well. And, you know, if not quite by hand, then certainly with, you know, an, an amount of handcraft and them, not just turning them out of a, a form machine. Um, if either of you have been, whether to here or to Washington, or to sort of generally the mid-Atlantic of the U.S., you might have heard of a baked good firm called Tasty Cake. It's vaguely familiar. If you look up the butterscotch crimpet, and that's with a K, not a C, that's another local delicacy, and that is one that they had. It's it's gone a little bit sort of super regional at this point, and I could get it in Washington or at the beach in Delaware as a kid. I love those. They're dreadfully unhealthy, but I love them. <laughs> so, so what's that? A butterscotch crumpet, you say? K-R-I-M-P-E-T. You're talking to a British guy, and, and they have a certain impression of crumpets. So watch what you're saying. You yeah. get them, you get them at the convenience store or the drugstore or whatever they're cheap. So it's not like a crumpet. No, no, no. It's all. It's closer to a miniature. It's it's closer to almost sort of a miniature angel food cake, with butterscotch icing on the top. Or a pound. It's it's okay, lighter yeah. than a pound cake, but it's the same taste of the cake. Yeah, that does sound like an artery clogger to me, definitely. Um, and I was and I was looking, I was I was on the ever reliable um, Wikipedia, and it also told me about something called an Irish potato candy. Can you tell me what one of those is, please? Um, I can't because I don't eat them. I know of them. I've eaten them once or twice before. No, it it doesn't like I see a picture of it and it does look like a potato. I don't like the idea of a potato that tastes like candy. It seems a bit strange to me. Taste. It's a cream based milk. Okay. Alright. So it's sort of like what was it? Boston baked beans have nothing to do with beans or uh, right. pa- uh, circus so peanuts, peanuts aren't exactly peanuts. The the, the thing I mean you will also find Philadelphia's food scene has really really grown immensely in recent years. It's much more diverse, much more international. There's very good Middle Eastern food and falafel all over the city. There are a few Jewish delis that obviously I'm very partial to. Partial to um, One of the top chefs in the city, Michael Solomonov, who's been on TV a number of times over the years, has a fleet of Israeli restaurants of different themes mm. all around town that I love. And it's probably no surprise that I'm a bit partial to those since I'm Jewish. But they do get a good a lot of my money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And you know, the art scene seems seems like it's thriving. I mean, I was lo- I was looking at the uh, you know I'm into my music, so I was looking at some of the artists that come from there, and uh, you know some of the old pop acts were really you know some real classics from there. More modern-ish stuff that kind of stuck out to me was like uh, Halls and Oats. I've got a bit of a soft spot for them. I think they got some great pop tunes. Lisa Left Eye Lopez was fantastic. Um, maybe I don't know if you want to you know give us a public apology for pink you know that's up to you Um, i'm not going to give you a public apology for pink actually (laughs) the producer is a relative of mine so i'm not going to apologize oh my (laughs) god i've i've got to put my foot in it now (laughs) i i'm not i my music tastes are a little eclectic on myself but um you know you've got hollow notes you've got the roots you've got you know almost a century of you go back to you know rock and roll and before then you've got a great orchestra here too um and you think about um boys to men um the old days you know the 50s the 60s the 70s the 80s the it goes all the way through of all all kinds of every genre of music that has come from here over a long time I I have a favorite song. It might not be from Philadelphia, but it's about someone from Philadelphia. It's by Bill Conti. Gonna fly now. It's uh, you know from the soundtrack of of, of Rocky. Rocky. And the most cliche song in Philadelphia history. Well, when Dan mentions the arts, <laughs> I heard the statue's not even at the art gallery anymore. I think it is. Yeah. It I, maybe, I think I that they, maybe no, they moved it down it, the steps. They moved it. They moved it down to the spectrum for a time. But I'm pretty sure it's at the foot of the art. It's at the foot of the art museum. Okay, because I will take it to my Rocky Four is one of my favorite movies of all times. I will always say that it was one of the reasons the Cold War ended. So, I and I will tell you that I have no interest in in it at all, perhaps because (laughs) I live here and it's so overtired. Oh, I I can imagine. Oh, I can I can totally see how you would just get so tired of that because that's what people think of when they when they think of philadelphia and you've just spent the last half hour explaining to us that there's a whole lot more going on no and i was thinking as well you know like most good swedish households you know at least have a copy of i don't know abba gold on the mantelpiece or something like that does every good philadelphia household have a copy of uh, you know big willie style or willennium by will smith is will smith uh, the favorite no cousin of Philadelphia. Oh, he's one of them. He, I don't know that they all have it, but he's certainly one of them. And he's and he's like a patron saint of the city, is he? Is he? Is he like? Uh, who are the main people? Who are the people near all the locals? Absolutely love over there. Well, Will Smith is one. The Roots, Holland Oats, Meek Mill. Sorry, you guys are in Toronto. Oh wow, yeah, because there was that uh, weird tiff with Drake once upon a time, where you know I will never. I can't confess I'm a Drake fan, so so fire away there, John. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm you know, I'm not I'm not so well versed in it either. But uh, those are some of the big ones, just off the top of my head. Okay, and and as for the art scene, I mean, which which you no know, parts are we overlooking here? Because obviously, I naturally focus on the music. I mean, what are the must dos? What are the really art? You know, maybe perhaps the must see museums, the the things that you can't get anywhere else apart from in Philadelphia. I would say one other thing about the music scene which is just a great jazz scene here. It has been for a long time. Um, museums, the Philadelphia Museum of Art is the most famous one. And justifiably, it's very, very good. 
There are a lot of other um, cultural attractions museum-wise here. The National Museum of Africa, um, misnamed it, sorry, it's really good. The African-American Museum in Philadelphia is very good. The National Museum of American Jewish History is very good. Again, I'm a little partial to that one. But you have, you know, you have Independence Hall and Liberty Bell, and up the street from that, the National Constitution Center, and that's the core of it, you know. Liberty Bell and the, and the you know, Independence Hall and the buildings around it, having been there since since the time, as it were, since the 17 <laughs> since the 1770s, and 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 uh, you know, there, if you're in as a tourist, they're worth a visit. The Liberty Bell Pavilion itself, the museum that the bell is in, you can do or you can do without. If there's no line, sure, but if there is a line, you can walk by the outside on the street and see the bell from the street without having to get a ticket. Good tip. So we'll quickly we'll quickly wrap this up when you know we record this at a difficult time. You know, we can only dream about, you know, first crossing the border with you guys. But uh, you've certainly uh, piqued my interest. I, I, I have always you know wanted to check out Philadelphia. The, the Liberty Bell is a one big thing. And then, of course, the big U.S. history component. So, yeah, John, thanks for opening up our uh, up our eyes a little bit. You sold your city well. It's my pleasure. It's great to be with you. Um, I'm do a trip up that way when the border reopens, um, even though my favorite Toronto restaurant, Roland Pick, is to get the dust. Um, but guys, thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you. Cheers.